Will you pray with me? As you read in the psalm, Lord, we've come to taste and see. We've come to taste your word. Jesus, we've come to taste your body and your blood. And we long to see whatever it is you would have us see. And so as, as I use my spiritual imagination now, I see that there's worry and anxiety about this semester. God, you see that too. I see that there's excitement about the semester and what will be learned and friendships that will be built, and you see that as well. I see that there's trepidation about what's around the corner. You see that. I hear the voice of maybe a future Asbarian. <laughs> you see him. You know every hair on his head, just like you know all of ours too. You see us. You don't just see us, but you know us, and you know our names. We submit ourselves to you, Lord Jesus, fully, totally, without any reservation. Use us as you see fit. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. What is the very darkest place you've ever been? Not spiritual darkness, we have, that's another sermon, like actual physically dark. What's the most physically dark place you've ever been? Shout an answer out. A cave? A lot of caves? Anybody else? The ocean at night, especially if it's overcast, right? Um, like if, if you're like me and you do long time driving, visiting family, and you're in the Mojave Desert, it's three in the morning, it's overcast, you get out of the car to walk around, it's pitch black can't see your hand in front of your face. But the darkest place I've ever been, and it's not even close, is Carlsbad Caverns in New Mexico. The first time I went there was when I was a child. With other visitors, my family ventured in. We walked upon a well-lit pathway for which we were all thankful. After walking for about 10 minutes, the guide asked us to stop and hold on to the rail. We did so. And then they turned off all of the lights. And just like that, we were met with utter darkness, a blackness so complete, it was inky, it was overwhelming. I distinctly remember not following advice, because that's, that's just how I roll. <laughs> I let go of the rail. I grabbed my father's leg, because it seemed a bit surer to me than the rail. And, and I remember feeling anxious and scared because of how palpable the darkness was. It was only for a few seconds, but it felt like minutes had passed. And then the guide turned on a single flashlight, a torch, as the British would say. She was probably 20 yards or so from where I was holding on to my dad for dear life, but as soon as she switched on the flashlight, all of the darkness all around us vanished, poof, like that. And then as the other lights were slowly turned back on, these lights illuminated the intricate formations of the caves. They reveal the hidden wonders that lay behind that darkness that were everywhere to be seen in the caverns. Friends, the power of even a single light source within suffocating darkness demonstrates the immense power that light holds. Light has the ability to turn even the darkest place 
into a thing of beauty. Light has the power to serve as a reminder of how a small spark can bring hope and joy even in the darkest places and circumstances. Light is powerful. Say that to your neighbor. Light is powerful. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about in the verses that were read for us. I'll read them again, Matthew 5, 14 through 16. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill, it can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So what's going on in this passage? Jesus begins in verse 14 with this general truth. You are the light of the world. Now this truth needs some unpacking. The you in verse 14 is the audience that was listening to Jesus preach the most famous sermon ever, the Sermon on the Mount, which though should really be translated as y'all, I really wish that all the translators of the Bible would get this right and put some y'alls in there. The audience, this, this y'all, as we see in Matthew 5.1, it's composed of the disciples. They followed Jesus up the mountainside to hear him teach. So when we apply that to our context today, that, that you, that y'all, in verse 14, it's also us. It's me and you. It's anyone and everyone who follows Jesus up the mountainside seeking to learn from him. That it's all of us, as we together follow Jesus as Lord, we're that y'all. Sisters and brothers, we are the light of the world. Amen? We are the light of the world. At the end of verse 14 through all of 15, Jesus highlights that light is very hard to hide. A city on a hill, it can't be hidden. No one lights a lamp that's intending to illuminate their house simply to put it under a bowl. If you put it under a bowl, not only is the light obscured, but what happens to the flame? It goes out. It runs out of oxygen, doesn't it? It has no more fuel. Instead, you're to put the light on a stand so that it can better do its job, bringing light to everyone in the house. Jesus concludes with this command, Therefore, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Friends, we aren't to place our light under a bowl. That is, we're not to keep our trust in Jesus to ourselves. It's not just for seminary. It's not just for your private time. It's not just for your prayer closet. It's not just for mine either. We're not to keep our trust in Jesus to ourselves. No, indeed, we are a city on a hill that's not easily hidden. Our light is intended to be placed upon a stand so that it can enlighten others. How does all of this work? Well, Jesus is really clear. He says our light shines forth, how? Through our actions, through our good deeds. As others see our good deeds, they don't praise us, but they'll give glory to the Father in heaven. Our actions, friends, are doxological. Ooh. <laughs> they bring the Father glory. Amen? Amen. Our, our, our deeds, our lives, our worship, they can be. At the same time, our deeds aren't just doxological, they're also missional. They help turn the hearts of others to glorify the Father. Think about that. Your and my, our good deeds bring glory to the Father and turn people to doing the same as well. It's a really big deal how we live. 
Sisters and brothers, we are the torch bearers. We're the ones who carry the light into the world. And the darkness of the world, how pervasive is the darkness of the world? How profound. It's probably akin to the darkness of Carlsbad Caverns, isn't it? It's profound, it's pervasive, it's inky black. And we, we're like the guide who turns on the light. We're the ones who are called to bring hope, to bring love, to bring joy into the world. We are the ones called to make a difference in people's lives. We are the ones who are called to shine the light of Jesus into the world. Amen? John Wesley preached on this passage, of course, and he argues that some people in his day had turned so far inwardly from a spiritual perspective that they lost sight of the external necessities of the Christian faith. And what are those kind of things? Things like good deeds and social action. And he criticized them for this. However, Wesley never neglected the inward component of our faith. Quite to the contrary, right? His words, he says that a real Christian has a daily pattern of retiring from the world to converse with God, at least in the morning and evening. And that longer seasons of religious retirement, those are appropriate if they're done in moderation. In fact, Wesley goes further by arguing that if we try to place the light of our faith under a bowl, that is, if we try to live the Christian life purely individually and privately, like we might be tempted to do, then we have completely missed the point. He says this, Christianity is a social religion, and that to turn it into a solitary religion is indeed to destroy it. So in his typical fashion, Wesley holds together two poles, doesn't he? The importance of inward religion on one side and the importance of outward actions on the other. The inward without the outward is illegitimate. And the outward without being inspired by the inward is equally illegitimate. Wesley holds these things in tension and he invites us to do so as well. Jesus and John Wesley are proclaiming that our faith should shine forth in our lives. Well, where does the light come from? It's not from ourselves. The light is not from ourselves, but it's the work of Jesus that shines through us, of course. It's the Spirit of God who empowers us. It's to the glory of the Father that it all points. It's Trinitarian. Our light is Trinitarian. It's from the Son. It's empowered by the Spirit, and it's to the glory of the Father. Think about it. What if we took the words of Jesus and that exhortation of John Wesley seriously? What if we were to become the shining lights that we're called to be? What if we took those words seriously? Can you imagine what the world would look like? Can you imagine how many people's lives would be changed? People you know, people you don't? Can you imagine how many people would come to know the love of God if we were to do our job to shine our light? Can you imagine? Well, I think it's pretty clear what would happen. The world would be a brighter place, all puns intended. <laughs> it would be filled with hope and love and joy. And it doesn't have to be every Christian. I mean, it'd be nice, but what if just those of us listening to the sound of my voice did it? What if just we did it? Think about where we'll go in the next hundred years. 
Think about what we'll do as we shine the light of Jesus everywhere we go. Think about what could change, what would be different. The world, friends, would be a better place, all because we took the words of Jesus to heart and let our light shine. How do we do that? How do we become torchbearers that Jesus calls us to be? I think we do so by living a life of holy love and compassion. Wesley reminds us that our light should be fueled by love. He says that, that love of God and man arising from faith unfeigned is all in all. The fulfilling of the law, the end of every commandment of God, fueled by love. Our love for God and for others should be the driving force behind all that we do. Our love should be the light that shines in our eyes and the joy that's written on our faces, even and especially when times are hard. Our love should lead to the good works that others see and bring glory to God the Father. How do we live this life of love and compassion, though? Well, it starts by putting others first. How do we live a life of love and compassion? It starts by putting the needs of others before our own as a community. How do we live a life of holy love and compassion? It starts by serving others, by listening to others, especially those who are different than us, by being there for others. How do we live a life of holy love and compassion? It starts by treating others the way we want to be treated. As Dr. Jacqueline Smith preached yesterday in chapel, a life of holy love and compassion starts by being the social support that others need, promoting their mental health and wholeness, and hopefully within community, yours being promoted and you being brought to wholeness and me as well. Sisters and brothers, we have the privilege and the responsibility to lead by example. We have the opportunity as followers of Jesus, as members of this community at ATS, as those who are going into the ministry at some point, to be the torchbearers that Jesus is calling us to be, not just for the sake of the congregation or the ministry that will serve, but to show them how it's done, to promote them to become the missionary, the, this doxologically missional person that they're called to be as well. We have the opportunity to make a difference in the world and to be agents of change in our communities. Is that, that, sound, that sounds big. But it doesn't have to start with the end. It starts with today. How can you and how can I, how can we shine the light of Jesus today? Friends, let us not be ashamed of the light of Christ that shines from within us. Let us not even make a single attempt to hide our light from the world that so desperately needs it. Remember that example of Carlsbad Caverns about how dark it is? Without the flashlight and the lighted pathway, Carlsbad Caverns is very scary. I can't imagine being stuck in there without any light. But when the light was switched on, when the light was switched on, the beauty came forth. It was evident everywhere I looked. The same is true. Imagine how scary it is in this world without the light of Jesus. And then imagine what it's like when that light gets turned on for someone. You remember when it was turned on for you. Let us commit ourselves, friends, to shining our light brightly, to letting it shine before others, and to living a life of holy love and compassion. And as we do so, friends, let's sit back in awe and let's observe the beauty that will be revealed as we shine the light of Jesus 
Amen.